Hey, Tony, it's TJ. Oh, hey, TJ, it's Tony. And we're the Untitled Beatles podcast. You may know our name, but look up our number because we've just celebrated either our 50th, 51st, 52nd, 53rd, or 54th episode. And in honor of you, we're doing more episodes. And for a limited time, our producer Casey will send each of our listeners $10,000. Thank you, producer Casey. And thank you for listening. Cha-ching. You're in the money, bitch. The money bitch is my favorite Shelly Long vehicle. <laughs> my favorite Shelly Long vehicle is. <laughs> what key was that in? I went from B flat to C minor to B flat. <laughs> they work. That works. They're in the kind of the same world. Untitled Beatles podcast. All right. All right. Here is U.S. Rubber Soul. Let's try it again. All right. And three, two, one. <laughs> hey, TJ. Hey, Tony. You'll show him you're a tiger. Show him what you can do. The taste of the Untitled Beatles podcast. You're not, but your partner's a Jew. They're great. <laughs> That's great. Look at that. See? Was that 20 years of improv training? Right there. Tony, I was big shit at Second City in 98. <laughs> I think people like referring to themselves as big shit. What I was. <laughs> I was a big pile of shit. That's one of my least favorite words. <laughs> shit or pile? <laughs> or big? Or uh, off? <laughs> oh, oh, now I don't know. So many choices. I don't like the word shit. What are words I don't like? You know what I don't like the word? I don't like the word turd. Word. Fake people ain't worth a turd. I hate that word. <laughs> it rhymes, though. Have you heard the turd is love? <laughs> How's that for a tie-in for today's show? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> Tony, the intro we're not using for the show is actually dumber and more offensive. <laughs> You're right. What a great intro to an episode that I have been excited to do for a very long time. Today, we get to talk about, without question, no bits, no jokes, my favorite Beatles album. And it's not just the album, it's the version of this album. Much like uh, Give Ireland Back to the Irish version, this version <laughs> is my favorite Beatles album ever. It's the one I would take with me on any desert island disc. Is that still a thing? Remember, though, you can take one album on a desert island. Right. Well, does the island have internet? And then does the island have a record player? Like, I guess, yeah, the logistics of this island thing haven't really been worked out. Well, can you have access to island records, which would have the entire Bob Marley catalog? Dancing to the reggae rhythm. But you're talking about your favorite album, Rubber Soul. Hold on. U.S. Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul. Hey. hey. <laughs> Thank you, Paul.
Thank you, Paul. And get off that boat. What, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, are you looking where you're going when you're driving that thing? <laughs> and now to talk about the Beatles history, Paul McCartney by a campfire. All right. Why, why not? Is he going to sing Moonshadow? How come Paul McCartney wasn't as good as Cat Stevens? You ever hear the song <laughs> Moonshadow, by the way? If yeah. I ever lose my face, why would you sing about that? <laughs> I, yeah, because that was before Raiders of the Lost Ark when those Nazis got their faces melted off. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I guess he was ahead of his time with the face melting thing. Do you remember when we could all agree that Nazis sucked? Do you remember? I do remember that. Back that was in the a good day time. Before there weren't good people on both sides and we could just agree, like, oh yeah, that person's a Nazi. Fuck them. Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow. Moon shadow, moon shadow. Well, as Paul McCartney sang on Flowers in the Dirt, that day is done. But we're not talking Flowers in the Dirt. We're talking the U.S. rubber sole. And, Tony, where are you with the British rubber sole? And where are you with the American rubber sole? How how did you get into rubber sole? Was it one of the two of those? And how, in the year's time, do you kind of compare the two? That's a really good question. Yeah. So I got into the Beatles in eighth grade. And... My mom was into the Beatles, but like the early Beatles. And I remember her saying that, so she came from humbler means. And when she was a teenager, she didn't have the the money to get this rubber sole. But as an adult, I remember her saying like, oh, I've always wanted to get rubber sole. So for Christmas that year, <laughs> when I was getting into the Beatles, I bought her <laughs> rubber sole at the, uh, you know, from the wherever I got it. Peaches or whatever it was back Peaches. then. Might have even gotten at Musicland or, you know, all the ones we talk about, Rose Records, wherever the, those record stores I liked going to in the Burbs. And um, I bought it on vinyl. And back then you could get everything. You could get the U.S. version and you could get the U.K. version, but you didn't, you know, it wasn't, didn't say U.S. version, didn't say U.K. version. You didn't know. But I saw that one copy of Rubber Soul was cheaper than another copy. So I got the cheaper one because I was in eighth grade and I, whatever, I had a, an allowance, you know, <laughs> and it turned out I bought the U.S. rubber sole and I loved it. I thought it was great. And then later we acquired the tape. I forgot if she bought it or I bought it or whatever, but we've got the British version of the tape. And I remember being like, wait, this is a different record. What's going on here? Because. <laughs> This is like late 80s. This is before the internet. This is like, you know, you had to get a book from the library to figure out what's going on with the Beatles catalog. A library I mean? sucked, dude. <laughs> yeah, you were a nerd. <laughs> you were a nerd if you went to the library. Because <laughs> being smart is stupid. I used to get mad at my school. I'll ask, I'll propose the same question to you then. So yeah, how did you stumble upon Rubber Soul? It was given to me, it would have been uh, Christmas, because we were a Jewish family who, for no apparent reason, being an only child, we did Christmas and Hanukkah. And it was Christmas 1983, 83 or 84, it's one of those two years. Uh, I was given a box that said Marshall Fields on it from my grandmother, my nanny, who lived with us. And I was so upset that I was getting clothes for like, they're like, they saved it for last for, uh, for Christmas. And I remember even before I opened the box, my, my mom and my grandmother were just like, open it, just open it. And I opened it and it was three Beatles records. Cool. And w- among them 
was the U.S. Rubber Soul on vinyl with the uh, Rainbow Capital issue. Nice. The early 80s one. So I got into it that way, and that's I gravitated toward that record more than any, even more than the early stuff. That Those first opening guitar notes of I've Just Seen a Face, I felt like I was just in for a very cool and different experience in anything that I was hearing on radio at the time, or even yeah. any of the early Beatles stuff. Because by then, I'd, I I had a fair amount of Beatles records. I had the Red Album, I had the... The, the Blue Album, and while the Red Album had a bunch of songs from Rubber Soul on it, sure as hell didn't have I've Just Seen a Face. Yeah. And one of the other albums I got, it, it's, I think by coincidence, because my parents didn't necessarily know better, but in that box was the U.S. version of Help, the Gatefold. Uh, oh, the U.S. Help, yeah. Yeah, the U.S. Help, the U.S. Rubber Soul, and the U.S. Revolver. Oh, <laughs> so no yesterday and today at that point that came a couple years later, but I had these, yeah. these three kind of seminal albums and I was such a growing Beatles fan at the time. This album left such an imprint that when the CDs came out in 87 and they went with the British slash worldwide releases, I didn't understand it. Uh, <laughs> seventh grade TJ or eighth grade TJ at the time would have been like, Dude, Drive My Car is not on Rubber Soul. Drive My Car <laughs> kicks off yesterday and today. Nowhere man's on a Rubber Soul. So yeah, uh, I was so in love with that American catalog. And listen, uh, the British version of Rubber Soul is also a masterpiece. I'm not saying one's great and one's not. But I think for many American-raised Beatles fans, the U.S. Rubber Soul holds a special place it's different. I mean, some of the obvious differences, and I, when the CDs came out, I really noticed this, but the American album, the Rubber Soul logo is in brown on the top. Yes. And it's got, of course, the Capitol logo in almost an orangish color. And then the British one, it's the orange Rubber Soul, and there's the kind of Parlophone L logo in the very bottom. So even the covers are a little bit different. Yeah, they're different. Same picture, same druggy, groovy, folky, you know, there's all that foliage behind them. Yeah. This episode is not, and we'll do some comparisons, but this is not, this episode to me is not, here's why the U.S. one is better. Because for many people, it's not better. But it is to kind of celebrate the glory of the original U.S. Rubber Soul that came out December 6th of 1965. And, uh... I, I really feel like whether it's the American or the British version, I think you can make a case that Rubber Soul is one of the very best albums that they ever made. I completely agree. Well, that's our time. We'll see you next week on the end. <laughs> we hear there's more. Yeah, let's go through it, right? Yeah. <laughs> one of the benefits of the Beatles U.S. label Capital chopping up help to be kind of the souvenir gatefold package was they left a ton of songs that were on the British Beatles' help. They left them off, and they were either on earlier stuff like Beatles VI. Had to do that for you. It's what I always call it. <laughs> Beatles VI. <laughs> Beatles VI Warshawski. <laughs> Truth. But two of the songs from help that were not on Beatles VI... <laughs> opened up both sides of the American rubber soul. And just to, we'll go track by track, but yeah. just to kind of start it off, you basically, as album side openers, exchange 
drive my car on side one and what goes on on side two, for I've just seen a face on side one and it's only love for side two. And those make such a huge difference. I think part of the reason they did that, Tony, Capital was really, no pun intended, trying to capitalize on the folk movement in America. This is Bob Dylan at a zenith. The Beatles are very Dylan-influenced, and I think there's an element of that to this record. Completely, yeah. Dylan went electric in 65, which was also a thing, and I love it. Bringing Me it too. All. People, There was a like massive outrage, right? Yeah. Were people pissed at Dylan? The Folkies were mad because they felt that he abandoned the cause. And I get it. I do get it. He did. He did. He got into the Beatles. He thought they had crazy chord changes. He found a, you know, a Stratocaster and decided not to become a spokesperson for his generation, but more of a surrealist. And it's my favorite Dylan period, to be quite honest, the bringing it all back home. Yeah. And Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde. Those are my three favorites. If you're going to get mad at Dylan, save your anger for infidels. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. But yeah, folk rock was a thing. Like then the birds came out, you know, they covered Dylan with Mr. Tambourine Man. And so they're taking, you know, these elements of acoustic and electric music. Simon and Garfunkel started doing it. Then bands like Buffalo Springfield. And then in the UK, things like Fairport Convention. Folk rock was a thing. I think even Jan and Dean had a folk rock album called like Folk and Soul or something like that, <laughs> where Jan's on crutches. Ac- <laughs> accident prone Jan, who later, you know. <laughs> Dean kicked his fucking ass. <laughs> With his falsetto, yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned Buffalo Springfield around that same time was Nina Cherry's Buffalo Stance. <laughs> when, when that song came out, I it's for real. I was into the 60s music. And I was like, oh, is everyone into Buffalo Springfield? I I literally got those mixed up. <laughs> it was like, oh, no, that's something different. We always hang in a Buffalo stance. We do the down in town dance. I give you love, baby, not romance. I make a move, nothing left to chance. So don't you get fresh with me. Both of which later influenced the Dabney Coleman NBC vehicle, <laughs> Buffalo Bill. My favorite Dabney Coleman sitcom ever. Drexel's class. Do you remember that one? I do remember that. <laughs> was it like 87? When was that? I want to say early 90s on that, okay. actually. Okay. Yeah, he was like a mean teacher who was just cruel to his, like, all these eight-year-olds. I thought it was the best thing so ever. So funny. He may be the only teacher tough enough to handle Bart Simpson. Yo, Drexel, eat my shorts. Excuse me. Drexel's class Come starts here. September 19th. The U.S. A&R guys at Capitol... Because it was probably guys. Uh, this is the you know this is the whole Dave Dexter thing. They were capitalizing on the whole folk rock thing with Rubber Soul, and honestly, this is a cash in that completely works. I would argue that this is Dave Dexter's master stroke. Yeah, I mean, this and the Beatles' second album 
are testaments to some of the be- and in all honesty, Meet the Beatles isn't. I mean, there's no other Beatles album that anywhere that kicks off with "I Want to Hold Your Hand." So even right. Meet the Beatles in its own way is wonderful too. The the American albums get crapped on because they weren't the way the Beatles intended them to be. I understand that. I cannot argue with Beatle purists who say the Beatles didn't want the album track list in America to be what they were. It doesn't mean they're still not great. And you also can't erase history. There are generations of Beatles fans in the biggest market in the world who grew up listening to these American albums. And by the early 80s, unless you were getting imports, you weren't hearing the British. The only huge black mark in my mind in the Beatles albums is Revolver, which take three of the John songs off and put them on Yesterday and Today. Revolver is such an inferior experience because you're missing some of the great John Lennon songs. But otherwise, uh, Rubber Soul's glorious. Yeah, by reconstructing all the British albums and making more albums out of them and with less songs in America, Revolver got screwed. I'm going to postulate this to you, and this is we're getting into Beatle fanfic here. But what if U.S. Revolver had added Paperback Rider and Rain to the list? to the track list. Yeah, bo- both of which weren't issued on a Beatles album in the States till Hey Jude. Right, weird Hey Jude, the weirdest yeah. Beatles album. <laughs> and it still works. Hey Jude, a stopgap album in between Abbey Road and Let It Be, and it still works. It's a huge selling album, also known in early copies as The Beatles Again. It's fun to see the <laughs> Hey Jude album with The Beatles Again on that Green Apple label. I love Oh, I never saw that. It's I haven't fun. seen that. Beatles yeah. Again. <laughs> to me, that's a that is the weirdest hodgepodge of songs to me. I mean, it works because it's the Beatles, but I if it wasn't the Beatles, it wouldn't work. I think it's such a weird mix. We'll we'll do Hey Jude sometime, but but I think if Paperback Rider and Rain had been on U.S. Revolver, it might have saved it from being the short change that it is. That's a great point because Sgt. Pepper's when the album started to be standardized, when the Beatles yeah. said no more of this shit. We're going to, and as we've joked about on the show, can you imagine Sergeant Pepper with like any time at all instead of day in the life? <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> weirder things have happened, but rubber soul, I think works so beautifully. Now the trade-off is there's only 12 songs in the American album, because in general, they took less songs in the American albums to make more albums. But before we get track by track, Tony, I wanted to break this down a little bit for you. So you mentioned how cool it would have been if the Paperback Writer Rain single had been thrown on the U.S. Revolver. There are a double A-sided single, We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper, were released the same day as Rubber Soul. In the U.K., they all came out December 3rd of 65. In the U.S., they all came out December 6th. But Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out were put on the hodgepodge yesterday and today, which is another weird scattershot album that I love. And of course, that's the Butcher cover, where for a long time, people were steaming their record covers to see if they had a Butcher cover underneath it. Um, That's one thing I don't have. Do you have a Butcher cover that's not part of my collection? No, I mean, I would see it uh, way high up on shelves behind counters at record stores from time to time. And, you know, it always sell for like a couple hundred bucks. And I'd be like, well, I don't have a couple hundred bucks for that, you know. 
No, that's that's one that I'm not going to add to my collection until I cross the million dollar threshold. I can't. <laughs> I, I get enough shit from my wife for being like, oh, but I, I got to buy the new, you know, they're reissuing Flaming Pie on seven Blu-ray discs and four. You know, <laughs> Carrie's like, why? I'm like, well, 97 was a good year for Paul McCartney. <laughs> But yeah, man, so, I mean, you have Day Tripper, We Can Work It Out, along with Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, two of the greatest double A-sided singles the Beatles ever released, coming out the same day as Rubber Soul, not even on the album, but the U.S. capital version of Rubber Soul doesn't have any singles on it. It almost feels like its own artistic album statement. There are 12 songs on the U.S. version, 14 songs on the British version, and a little bit of a breakdown for you, Tony. If you consider In My Life as being half John and half Paul, which I'm going to do for point of reference for this, if you believe what they said were John wrote the lyrics, Paul helped with a lot of the music, If you, I'm going to buy that for a second. There are, on the U.S. Rubber Soul, six and a half John songs, four and a half Paul songs, one George song, and zero Ringo songs. That equals 12. On the British slash worldwide rubber soul, world star, there's six and a half John songs and four and a half Paul songs still. Two George songs, one Ringo song to make 14. So clearly the UK version is a more representative version of all the Beatles. But when you're, I was nine at the time, when you're listening to this record, you're not counting how many Beatles are singing what song, you're just loving it. And track for track, that U.S. Rubber Soul, it sounds different. One of their most famous album songs has an entirely different intro on the U.S. version that's only on the U.S. version, and only on the U.S. US stereo stereo version, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This album, to me, from a nostalgia standpoint, but even still, and when they finally issued this on CD originally, I think it was in 2006, as part of the Beatles... The Capitol Albums Volume 2 is what it was, and it looked like a KTEL box set. It was kind of chintzy with real thin kind of cardboard paper. What's cool about it is they initially issued the Capitol Albums with the original Capitol mixes in 2004 and then 2006, not available individually, only as these box sets. But what's cool is it replicates the Rainbow Capitol, but they have the Apple logo on it, and in 06, <laughs> when I got it, I was like, how cool to see the capital rainbow rubber sole with the apple green apple logo on the bottom just really kind of got me going. I love that stuff. It's like my favorite bumper sticker, coexist. Coexist, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> I honestly, that is, I, I think I actually mentioned that on this show before. That is, if you're going to narrow my worldview down to one thing, it is that bumper sticker. <laughs> I agree with the sentiment. Uh, my favorite bumper sticker says, um, Lieberman Gore 04. <laughs> How sad are you that Joe Lieberman is Jewish? Uh, there was a time where I was super pro Joe Lieberman because I just wanted a Jewish vice president. I was like, all right. And then I learned he was a dick. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, I, yeah. I, I swapped. Like Toward the end, I was more John McCain than I was Joe Lieberman. I get it. 
I wrote a show for Second City called Jewsical the Musical, and it ended with a song called Lieberman for President. And the whole joke of the song was like, we don't like his politics. We just want a Jew to be president. <laughs> Hi, I'm Seth Whiteberg, an actor here at the theater in Chicago. And Second City Theatricals is proud to present a hilarious new comedy, Jewsical the Musical. So, uh, Rubber Soul, Tony, it's got a complicated mix history, or mixtory as we say, mm. because you can buy Rubber Soul on, Rubber Soul exists on CD in like six different ways. You have the 2006 Capitol Records Volume 2 box set version, mm. which has the original Capitol mixes. You have the 2014 CD issue which has some of the original Capital mixes, but relies on the original 2009 remixes, That's what which I have, are based yeah. on the 1987 George Martin remixes. Right. Which he went in only for help and rubber soul, right? Right. And if you want the 1965 original British Rubber Soul mix, those are bonus tracks on the mono Rubber Soul CD that came out in uh, 2012. So, <laughs> like with many beats, and by the ah! way, there's there's two different versions of the 2006 Rubber Soul CD. There was a mispressing where they use a fold down mono version of the stereo. So you're not even getting the authentic mono. You're getting a fold down of the stereo. So right. rubber soles all over the place. So no cough in Norwegian wood for you, misprint. Right. <laughs> right. She asked me to stay and she told me to sit anywhere. No cough and no weird beginning of, of um, I'm, I'm looking through you. you. No false start. Right. It's a mess, to be quite honest, but it's a beautiful record still. Real quick, the differences between the UK and the US versions of Rubber Soul is that the US version omits Drive My Car, If I Needed Someone, Nowhere Man, and What Goes On, and it adds I've Just Seen a Face and It's Only Love, both from Help. Well, yeah. Do you want to go track by track? Yeah, let's go track by track on the US Rubber Soul. I love it. Well, as mentioned, it starts with I've Just Seen a Face. This is the one that the U.S. A&R department loved and took out of help and decided to make the lead track for this record to kind of start off what they consider to be the, the folk rock, you know, Beatles record. And I love it. I think it is a great opener. I think it is a preferable opener to Drive My Car, which is also a great opener. I just prefer this one, man. They're both great openers, but they just give each album such a different feel. And because the next track, Norwegian Wood, is the same, I've always felt like I've Just Seen a Face is a better warm-up for Norwegian Wood. One of the most classic John Lennon songs, certainly one of his best mid-period songs. But you could argue Norwegian Wood is just one of the greatest John Lennon songs in general, where he's really writing a story to this beautiful music with this gorgeous story that he's telling. I feel like I've just seen a face is a better introduction to it. It feels I, I've got no basis for saying this other than how I feel, but I've just seen a face and Norwegian wood just paired together better than drive my car or Norwegian wood to me. I completely agree. And you said no basis, but there's also no base in this song, a Beatle rarity. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Anti-Gin's theme. We went over this when we did our help deep dive. I think it's a great opener. It's one of the fastest Beatles songs on record. Yeah. And Paul said it had a slightly country and Western feel, which I think is why it pairs better with Norwegian Wood. I, I, I hear Drive My Car as the Beatles doing like Stax, Motown, Tom Law, if you will, mm-hmm. if you're in the UK. And we have elements of that later in both the US and UK Rubber Soul. But I just think that I've, I've just seen a face has a more acoustic sound and pairs better, like you said, with Norwegian Wood. And Drive My Car, a great song also on the Red Album, 62 to 66. Yeah. Which I've just seen a face is not, of course. But yeah, it, for for all of Capital's missteps in the early to mid 60s, this one was not a misstep. This feels calculated and beautiful and it gives the album right from the get-go a folky feel that no other Beatles album has. The closest thing would be Beatles for Sale slash Beatles 65 with uh, no replying to I'm a Loser. Otherwise, yeah. no other Beatles album feels this folky. I've just seen a face I can't forget the time or place where we just met. She's just the girl for me and I want all the world to see we've met. Had it been another day, I might have looked the other way And I'd have never been aware But as it is, I'll dream of her tonight Falling, yes I am falling And she keeps calling me back again Yeah, the energy is just so great. This is one of the most energetic Beatles songs there are. There is, there are. And uh, <laughs> whichever Arr, it's a great Beatles song <laughs> for a pirate. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just think that this album, the U.S. version, just kicks off with a bigger bang, even though there's no formal. It's like brushes on drums versus a full drum kit and all that. And it's so funny you talk about energy and a bigger bang, because first of all, great Stones album from 05. I might have made up the year I don't care I'm not getting buzzed on that one producer Casey I'm making up Stones facts left and right Also Steel Wheels My Generation's Tattoo You Tattoo Who Um, I I, w- I mean, dri- Drive My Car is a rocking Motowny number. Drive My Car is a phenomenal album opener. And in fact, it opens yesterday and today where it yeah. belongs. There you <laughs> Agreed, sir. Agreed. Yeah, man. No, I think we're on the same page with this record, man. I think we mentioned this in the Help Deep Dive, but Paul loved I've Just Seen a Face Enough, where it was one of the few Beatles songs he did on that 76 tour, uh, which is on Wings Over America, where he gives it even more of like a campfire hoedown-y type of feel. I have never known the likes of this. I've been alone and I have missed things that kept out of sight. But other girls were never quite like this. Die, 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 die. There's some great versions. Bella Fleck does one. Mm. Um, Bruce Hornsby does a bluegrass version of I've Just Seen a Face, which sounds incongruous, but it's actually really neat. (laughs) 
Yeah, I never think of like piano and bluegrass music. Yeah. Now, Norwegian Wood, first of all, I'm so glad that they used the version that they ended up using, like versus the uh, the one that's on Anthology where the... Uh, too much sitar? Yeah, the sitar call and response is a little <laughs> too much. Yeah, yeah. It's so on the nose. So yeah, so this is the first... Well, technically, Another Hard Day's Night is the first... Beatles tune to feature a sitar and again it's also, on the Capital Help album, <laughs> right on the Capital Help album, right. But this is the first new Beatles tune to feature a sitar, and also George plays a twelve-string acoustic guitar on this song, which adds again to the whole folk rock thing, the feel of this record, the pairing coming after I've Just Seen a Face and into the rest of the album. And also, yeah, playing into the whole album cover itself. It has a folky vibe to it. They're wearing brown. It's very earthy. This is a cool record. What I love about George's sitar and the version they settled on for Rubber Soul is it feels natural. George was still learning the instrument at this point, and it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel tentative. It yeah. feels natural. And it's just such a testament to the kind of musician that George Harrison was, that it's so elegant and doesn't feel gimmicky. A lot of that's in George Martin's production of this, by the way. This is this is probably the first Beatles record with George Martin's, I don't want to say with, it's not the first one with his producing stamp on it, but it's the first one where you can tell his guidance and studio sophistication is really guiding the proceedings. Yeah, well, yeah, this is kind of when pot really enters the scene and they get more experimental in the studio. And it's to George Martin's yes and open to experimentation, open-minded willingness to play and his also his admitting to being one who gets bored easily. Yeah, it just brings out the best moments of George Martin. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll say in every episode of these that we do that George Martin is the fifth Beatle and his producing of this. Can you imagine how gimmicky this is produced by another rando mid 60s producer? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, Tom Wilson did his stuff with Dylan. I, I like his stuff. But yeah, it, would, it may have sounded different, right? Yeah, I mean, George Martin was his, yeah, unique. He was just as unique as the Beatles. And that's the thing about the Beatles. They were just so unique and they were quirky. And I just, I think it gives, here's why I love this group so much. It gives people who are a little bit outside of the box, people like you, people like me, it gives us hope that we are actually, can be a part of this society. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's why I dig this uh, this band so much. And that's the beauty of them is that they appeal to outsiders and insiders. Like the Beatles just kind of straddle that line between being adventurous and relentlessly experimental and still accessible. And that's what's so great about them is it's not like Zappa or and no district to Zappa or even a lot of Bowie where it's experimental and weird. The Beatles were experimental right? yeah. and yeah, the, the Beatles were experimental and palatable and tangible. Yeah. With the exception of revolution nine. Yeah. And what's the new Mary Jane, which thank <laughs> God didn't see a full release till <laughs> anthology three. What a shame. Mary Jane had a pain at the party. 
what a shame, Mary Jane, what a shame, Mary Jane had a man at the party. Famously, this song is about an affair that John was having with Brian Epstein. With Brian. <laughs> well, Pete Shotton seems to think it's about Maureen Cleave, the journalist who had a long, seems like a long term kind of inner circle relationship with the band. Maureen Cleave, who is the reporter who published the Beatles are bigger than Jesus comment that John made. Yeah. And who I believe is seen arguing with John in the Imagine documentary. Yeah, we should do a whole thing on her. We should dig into yeah. that because she's an interesting character. She's also the one that suggested that John write songs with more than two syllables for. And that's where help came from. That story's always bugged me because I felt like that's an overrated Beatles story. I feel like John was writing. Comp- <laughs> I mean, there's a place is a complex early song and a deep early song. I'm a loser is a deep early song. Like I, the whole Maureen Cleave inspired John to write bigger thing to me sucks. Whoa. <laughs> well, I think she was getting him to write songs with more than two syllables. And I know there's probably examples of some three syllable words in a, a song here or there. I know what you mean, but I also think that she was this influence in the group that cannot be denied. Right. Fine, Maureen Cleave's the fifth Beatle. All right, you win. <laughs> Maureen Cleave, Andy White, then Billy Preston. Then Magic Alex, then, then George Martin. Then Magic Johnson. Then Magic Johnson. <laughs> then Nickelback, then Jimmy Nickel. <laughs> Jimmy, then Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Nickelback. <laughs> I want my Jimmy Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to pay a lot for this muffler. That's out of <laughs> that's out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to pay a lot for this muffler. You're not going to pay a lot at Meineke. So Paul, I guess, is the one that suggests that he was the one that came up with lyrically lighting a fire at the end of the song as revenge because she made this character in the song sleep in the bath, right? Norwegian wood, I guess. Everyone was decorating their places in wood at the time. And uh, This Bird Has Flown is in parentheses on this song. That was the working title. She told me she worked in the morning and started to laugh. I told her I didn't and crawled up to sleep in the bath. So when you heard this song lyrically, did you know that he was like setting the house on fire at the end? Was that clear to you? It was not clear to me. I thought he was just lighting a cigarette or a joint. But then that wouldn't make sense, isn't it, good Norwegian wood? But in my head, I I didn't get that it was like a... Like in that Beck song, Rowboat, that Johnny Cash covered. I'll be home with the gasoline it's basically his Norwegian wood. Yeah, I, I think Def Leppard's Norwegian Woods, their album Pyromania. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I didn't. I, I I didn't really think fire until Jose Feliciano covered and put his stamp on the doors. Light my fire. By the way, Jose Feliciano under fucking rated. We hear him every Christmas, though, so good for him. Yeah, you hear him every Christmas. You used to hear him a lot in syndication because one of his most underrated songs, the theme song to Chico and the Man, one of the great, by the way, also a great TV show ahead of its time, R.I.P. Freddie Prinze, but that Jose Feliciano theme to Chico and the Man where they're kind of showing uh, the intro, they're showing clips of, of L.A. Chico and the Man has kind of been forgotten about in TV history, and that's a great show. Well, yeah, because he died, and I think people get, you know, when that happens, people get bummed out, you know? <laughs> I remember after he died, they brought it back, and it was like, Chico and the baby, and it was like a little... Oh, I didn't know about that. Really? They tried <laughs> yeah. to... Come on, guys. <laughs> they had like a little... That's what it was like, oh, maybe we'll just take this show yeah, off Yeah, maybe you should do that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Chico, don't be discouraged. The man... He ain't so hard to understand Chico If you try now I know that you can lend A helping hand Next song up, You Won't See Me This was recorded uh, the last session For Rubber Soul Which also included Girl, I believe Did you know that's Mal Evans on the Hammond organ? Yeah and in fact, on the album, he's billed as Organ Evans on the Hammond, and which I oh, think is so funny. It doesn't that? even say That's Mal. So great. Yeah, that's so on great. On the uh, the back of the Rubber Soul cover, it's Organ Evans, and Organ is in um, quotes. That's funny. <laughs> they also have him banging on an anvil that they mixed out of it <laughs> awkwardly. <laughs> that's funny. Well, he only plays the one note. I understand. He just holds that note. So, yeah, we, this is a song we haven't really covered that much. What do you think of this one? I've always loved this one. I love the piano intro. I love the kind of weird off-kilter tempo. Yeah. The tempo doesn't seem very sure of itself. It's got that funny hi-hat thing in there. It's, it's another inventive Ringo drum pattern, which is a testament to his playing. Yes. The ooh-la-la-la backing, I've thought in any other band's hands would be super trite. And here it just sounds so lovely. And in fact, there's a great a producer, Casey, like me as a fellow weird Ben Folds fan, like ah. just love Ben Folds five. There's a song from whatever and ever amen called Kate that the bridge of it uses that same ooh la la uh, tribute that's lifted directly from this. This would have been 96 or 97, I think. And it's it's a really cool moment, and it's a gr one of my favorite Ben Folds five songs. I've always connected the two because the ooh la la la's, which I think is neat. Ben Folds once said of the Beatles, "I wish I could find the exact quote." Somebody asked about an interview, and he just gave like he goes, "Fuck." Fuck them. They did everything. You want to write a piano song? They did it. You want to write a ballad? They did it. it just Ben Folds being like, I love him, but it's like, what the fuck? How do you follow the Beatles? He's like, that's the problem is everything you want to do, the Beatles have already done first, which is kind of a great musician's compliment to, to the Beatles. But yeah, yeah I, I love this song. This is one of the Paul songs that I think 
it shows the breaking up with Jane Asher. Yeah. There's a couple on this album that I think show things. And you cannot argue with, with Linda McCartney. Uh, there was a time, much like mocking Yoko, there was a time when mocking Linda was in. I've softened my Linda stance. Consider- Remember like when Howard Stern would play the mean-spirited, isolated vocals yeah, I do. Of, um, I do. Of, of Hey Jude? <laughs> I do. I mean, it was funny. I know what you mean. It is mean spirited, but that's how yeah, so Howard. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was funny in 1991. It's not 1991 anymore. It, it's like one of those things I just don't. And I love Howard Stern, but one of those things that just isn't funny anymore. Without Linda McCartney, is Ram Ram? Is Mm-mm. Paul inspired to write? Maybe I'm amazed. Does Wings exist the way it does? I mean, no. So I give Linda a ton of credit, but Jane Asher was beautiful. And worldly, her parents were like super wealthy. She's like the opposite of Heather Mills. Remember Heather Mills? Of course. Paul's in the day when like Paul was dying his hair, and Heather Mills <laughs> was like proud to say like I hated the Beatles. I could have given two shits about them. Yo, right. great! Congratulations on being the world's only non-Beatles fan, marrying Paul McCartney. <laughs> Well, the song is three minutes and 23 seconds. <laughs> How did that tangent happen? By the way, I'm talking about freedom. Without Heather Mills, Paul doesn't write freedom. This is my right. I mean, you could say that Heather Mills is Paul's Maureen Cleave. <laughs> you could. So what you're saying is Heather Mills is the seventh Beatle? This is my right. A right given by God. I love You Won't See Me. I love the piano in this. I love all the song. Where are you with You Won't See Me? It never makes my top lists or anything, but I find this song to be incredibly infectious. I like it when it comes on. I mentioned the time on it, 323. At the time, this was the longest song to date, and I think it's because of that really? second. Yeah. It's because of that second middle eight, which that would be my only criticism of this song is that it, it does actually feel like it's one thing too long. That said, I love it. I remember being on a road trip down to Dollywood with my aunt and uncle and my cousin, and I had my headphones on listening to Rubber Soul, and it would have been actually the British version because it was a cassette, but because uh, that's what I had on cassette. But I remember singing along in the car on my way to Dollywood doing the you know, doing that. Yeah. And, and being quite annoying. I don't think I realized how annoying I was back then, but I dig this song and you're right. It is about basically the uh, impending ruin of the Jane Asher, Paul McCartney relationship.
you're probably thinking to yourself, what could those sultry saxophone sounds possibly mean? Could it be Tony getting ready to add another track to his solo Beatles Mount Rushmore? Unfortunately, no, it just means that today's long and rambling conversation rambled a little too long to fit into a single episode. So this one's going to be another two-parter. We'll be back next week to talk about the rest of the U.S. Capitol release of Rubber Soul. In the meantime, it's Casey here, Untitled Beatles podcast producer, just jumping on again to thank you for listening and for helping us spread the word about the show. If you like what we put together every week, there's three things each of you can do to just help us grow the show. Number one, subscribe. Make sure you get the latest episode in your podcast feed every Saturday morning as soon as it's released. Number two, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Your reviews are the single most powerful tool that help other people find this show. And number three, just the old-fashioned way, tell your friends. Everybody loves a good podcast recommendation. That's it. Three things. Subscribe, review the show, tell your friends. Thank you again so much for listening. And Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe.